0: Hi, hello, and welcome. Episode number 89 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Audie Elmore. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you listening as we inch closer to 100 episodes of Ball Don't Lie. I have a lot to get to. I have a lot to talk about. I'll talk a little bit about, actually, the Pittsburgh Steelers and something I don't quite understand about them, something I'm missing about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. They have met for OTAs. Joe Burrow in action. You will hear from the Bengals quarterback later on in this episode. And he looked good. He looked excited. And Bengals fans are excited. But remember, folks, we have to temper our expectations at least a little bit. And LeBron James, I don't understand – LeBron James I'll talk about that as well but first let's start with the Cincinnati Reds and I don't really want to talk about them because they are possibly the most frustrating team I've ever seen and that you know it really goes back to last year the thing about last season with the Reds was that their pitching was so good you still felt like at any point they could go on a run because of the talent they had at the plate and as good as a pitching team that they were. They had the National League Cy Young Award winner last year in Trevor Bauer. They had guys capable of hitting last year in that lineup. It's basically the same lineup this year as it was last year. They just really didn't – they just got unlucky last year until the end of the year they finally went on the run, and that run propelled them into the playoffs. And, unfortunately, they just didn't score any runs in either of their two playoff games against the Atlanta Braves. But you felt like, at least I felt like, throughout the majority of the 2020 season, that this team still had a run left in it. And I worry about the 2021 Reds because I don't know if they have that run in them. They certainly have the talent, and they certainly have the offensive firepower to do it, but their pitching is abysmal. Tyler Malley, his ERA has gone from 2.3 to 4.2, Luis Castillo has the worst record in all of baseball, and this guy is supposed to be your ace. He's 1-7 in with a 7.7 ERA. Sonny Gray started the season late after a back injury. He has not been himself. He's been just okay. You've had Jeff Hoffman, who you acquired in the offseason for a bag of Grippo's potato chips and two cans of Skyline chili from Kroger. He has done absolutely nothing. Wade Miley threw a no-hitter, and he has probably been the Reds' best pitcher, and he's been average at best, and now he's on the injured list. Jose DeLeon got some starts for some ungodly reason. All this all this adding up in the fact that their bullpen sucks as well. The only reliable arm out of the bullpen has been TJ Antone. Amir Garrett has stunk. Lucas Sims has not been himself. Michael Lorenzen is injured. Rosiel Iglesias was traded. You've got Heath Hembry who pitched okay for a couple of games. you got Carson Fulmer, who at some point was David Bell's best option to get out Buster Posey, but then the next day he was designated for assignment and now he's in Louisville. All these things happening, you just don't have the pitching to keep yourself competitive in games, and that puts so much pressure on your offense to score six, seven runs a game, and it's just unrealistic. Say that's unrealistic, and then you look at the top two hitters in the National League, and they go by the name of Jesse Winker and Nicholas Castellanos. They both are capable, and they both, at the moment, are leading the National League in hitting. They go back and forth each and every day. Winker hit something like five home runs in 48 hours the other day. It's so frustrating for this team, and... Mo Egger on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati made the perfect analogy. And the the topic basically being that this is a consequence of the Reds not spending money, not actively pursuing, not aggressively pursuing a championship in the off season. They didn't address their bullpen. They thought they would be okay starting pitching wise, and they didn't go get a premier shortstop. And, they are paying the price for those decisions. They decided to cut payroll. They decided not to spend money. They're paying the price for those decisions. They're five games under 500 as they're playing right now on the 25th of May. And now the Reds have to deal with those decisions. And it's frustrating from a fan standpoint because, and this is the point Mo was making, and it was the, it was the perfect analogy. He said, you know, if you go to a restaurant and they make you wait, and wait and wait, and you go, and the meal is really, really good. You don't mind, it was worth the wait. But if you wait and you wait and you wait, and the meal was bad, or the food's not cooked correctly, or they brought out the wrong drink, or they messed your order up somehow, then you're pissed off because it's not worth the wait. And if you ever go back there again and you're waiting again. You're not gonna. You're less likely to stay and wait. You're more likely to go somewhere else. And the point Mo was making was that the Reds have made Reds fans wait and wait and wait and wait, and each time they have failed to deliver. And it's beginning to get frustrating, and you're wondering now, and I'm wondering now if the Reds have reached a breaking point with their fan base. I'm 26 years old. I have never ever seen the Reds fan base as frustrated with ownership and with those making decisions as I am right now, or as I do right now, as I see it right now. The best thing that happened to this organization in a long time was Dick Williams, the GM that basically built this team to what it is today, and then he abruptly retired, or I shouldn't say retired, left the team last year, leaving the GM job to Nick Crawl and Nick Kral I don't know if he has the same pool with owner Bob Castellini. I don't know if he has the same philosophy as Dick Williams. Dick Williams built a pretty good baseball team. A team that had a legitimate shot at at contending for a championship in 2020. COVID season happens, they still somehow make the playoffs and you would you would have you you would think that if if Dick Williams was still in charge, he had enough of a trusting and an understanding of Bob Castellini that he could have convinced Big Bob not to cut payroll, to spend a little bit of money on a shortstop and make this a legitimate contender. And I don't know if Nick Crawl has done that. I don't know if Nick Crawl Nick can do that with Bob Castellini. And you're now seeing the results of that. Different philosophy, saving money. And now as a Reds fan, you're pissed off because you waited and you waited and you waited for a contending team. You just got out of a rebuild. You were awful in 2015 after selling the team, awful in 2016, awful in 2017, awful in 2018, 90-90-90-90 lost seasons. You get a little bit better in 2019. You get Yasiel Puig and Tanner Roark and Matt Kemp, and you get rid of some guys. And you're a little bit more competitive than in 2020 after – you get Trevor Bauer and everything, for Trevor Bauer in his second season with the Reds. Then you make the playoffs, and then you say in the offseason, "Man, that was fun. Uh, we're not going to try to get any better. And this is what goes back, and I've said this time and time again, that frustrates me about teams, is that when you're not in the – what are you doing here if you are not aggressively in pursuit of a championship? What is the point of getting up in the morning? Bob, sell the team. Sell it to somebody that can take it and somebody that wants it and someone that wants to restore the greatness that this franchise is supposed to be. I heard somebody talking this week about how they get so frustrated that the Reds are not a premier talked-about household franchise in baseball like the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, I thought about that for a while. And the difference is, number one, Boston's a bigger market. That's fine. Number two, the Red Sox have been relevant for the last 20 years. The Reds have not. The Reds last won a playoff series when I was four months old. That's the only Cincinnati playoff win I've ever been alive for. They, The Red Sox found ways to win. They've won 3 World Series since I've been alive, since 2007. They there's no excuse for the Reds not to be like that. The market is the, the market's bigger, they have more money. I understand that. But there is no excuse the Reds could not be on par with the Boston Red Sox at least. No excuse. And so You look at this and Bob Castellini took over ownership in 2006 and he promised a winner. He promised a championship culture that we were going to get back to winning in Cincinnati. They were going to restore the greatness of this franchise that was just 20 years removed from a world championship in 1990 that was just still reeling off of Pete Rose 20 years before that. The Big Red Machine, all this other stuff. You know, there are people that don't know who the Big Red Machine is. Your next era of fans, your next generation of fans, you cannot just keep talking about 1975. You've got to do something. You've got to win. You've got to be aggressive in the pursuit of championships. There's a million other ways for you to make money. And if you're in, if, if, if the whole, everything you do is to wake up and make money, even though you've already got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, well, then I can't help you because you've got a legitimate problem with your mental capacity. You don't buy a baseball team. I, I, I can't fathom this. I'm sure people do it, but you can't buy a baseball team just to make money. And if you do, You can't be involved in the baseball decisions, because if you are, then you're jeopardizing the entire process, especially if you don't know a damn about baseball. So figure it out what you want to do, because there are a lot of good people in this city, a lot of good people in this fan base across the country that deserve better than what the Reds have gotten. And look, this is still a good baseball team. They have talent. But they are the frustrating part about them is that they are not as good as they could be. Kyle Farmer is, is, is your shortstop going into the season. Then all of a sudden, oh, it's Eugenio Suarez. You throw that on his shoulders, now he can't hit. Votto gets hurt. Moustakas gets hurt. Senzel gets hurt. You have no depth. Your farm system is drying up. They're finally making the decision to bring up a pitcher, Vladimir Gutierrez, out of AAA Louisville, because they're desperate. Bring up Hunter Green. Bring up Nick Lodolo. Who cares at this point, right? No, they're going to repurpose this. They're, it's the old term polishing the turd. They're going to polish the turd and come back and say that, oh, we're going to be down next year. But in 2022, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo and the gang are going to lead us out of it. No chance, man. It's frustrating. So. Here's how I look at the Reds. I do think they're a good team still. I think they can float around 500. But if their pitching continues the way it is, and they are as inconsistently hitting as the way they've been, and Eugenio Suarez does not show up, and Mustakas and Vado and Senzel continue to miss significant time, they are not going to be near 500. They're going to be significantly below that. And so here's what I expect at the current moment. I don't expect the Reds to be very good for the rest of the year. I don't expect them to necessarily be a fun team to watch. But I do expect Jesse Winker and Nicholas Castellanos to continue playing very good baseball. The two best hitters in the National League. I expect them to continue to play well. We are through 45 games. That's a pretty good sample size. I expect them to play well throughout the end of the year. So while I may not enjoy necessarily watching the Reds, I will enjoy tuning in to watch those two dudes play baseball, to watch Nick Zell play, who's my favorite player, to watch Joey Votto play, who is on the tail end of a legendary career in Cincinnati. So I'll tune in for that because I like those guys. But I don't have any desire to spend my money at the ballpark. I don't have any desire to support Bob Castellini. I don't have any desire to 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 just it's just you know what i mean it's frustrating it's frustrating and this is this is the consequence of not being aggressive in the pursuit of winning championships the bengal's are dealing with it right now they weren't aggressive enough during their window and now they're having to rebuild and sure that are they on the on the you would think on the backside of that rebuild and it's probably going to work out many would say yes but you still are going through a, a stretch here where you won two games and then four games, and you're over under going into this year is six and a half. So you're still suffering. And it's just it 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 boggles my mind, and maybe because I'm a fan and maybe because I'm young and maybe because I don't understand life and money and how everything works, that's all very much possible. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but what I do know for sure is that I cannot fathom people who refuse to work hard and and care and give a damn about what they do. And people that are not self-aware enough or have people around them that that can tell them when they are incorrect, when they are wrong and and most certainly when they are failing. When those things happen, when when you aren't getting that from people around you, when you don't have this the the self-awareness to look inside and say, I'm messing this up. And there's no hope at all. And that's the most frustrating part. If there's one good thing about all of this, it is that the Reds have made it much easier to be ready for the Bengals. It feels now, over the course of the last week, because the Reds went 1-6, And the Bengals began OTAs today. OTA stands for Organized Team Activities. There's been a lot of uproar in the NFL about the Players Union and an upcoming CBA and the agreements about COVID and off-season programs and all this other stuff. A lot of of hoopla has been made about whether or not teams and players would actually show up to OTAs. Well, the, the Bengals had day one of their OTAs on Tuesday, And every single player on the roster showed up. Zach Taylor said this is a team on a mission. This is a team that decided amongst themselves that they were going to get everybody here. This team feels the pressure. The Bengals feel the pressure. They know that Zach Taylor, their head coach, they know his job depends on this season. Listen, we were told by reporters that this was a toxic culture in Cincinnati, which, by the way, is not true. The, the people that were saying that were people who were already out the door, people that did not have good relationships, people that had bones to pick. And that was kind of a headline grab, in my opinion. Some of that is true. Some of it. Some of it. Not all of it. There's frustration when you lose. Paul Brown famously said that winning makes believers of us all. And that's the truth. When you're winning six games in two years, frustration will boil over. People will say things, especially when you have disgruntled veterans on their way out the door. Get with the program or get out. That's how this works. The Bengals are on the backside of this rebuild, and it seems to be looking up. They've been crucified because of the fact that they could not protect Joe Burrow, and he ended the season wheeled out with a devastating knee injury. Well, here we are just over six months later, and Joe Burrow was on the field in his helmet throwing passes to receivers on day one of Bengals OTAs. That in and of itself is very impressive. As I said last week, Burrow is given the all-systems go by his doctor, Neil Elatrosh. I think I said his name correctly. And so... With the Reds stinking, FC Cincinnati taking three weeks to get their first win of the year, and nothing else really happening other than a burning down fifth-third arena, what seems like in the UC basketball program, the Bengals are what people are looking forward to the most other than Bearcat football this fall. And it's easy to get excited because they have the franchise quarterback they need. On the other side of the break, you'll hear from Joe Burrow, when he met with the media on Tuesday after day one of OTAs. You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast.
1: Yeah, it's good to be back, good to see everybody. You know, Whenever anybody comes back from the offseason, it's, it's fun to see everybody get, get some work in. It was, It's fun being back on the field, that's for sure. Joe, it's obvious you've been working hard at uh, Black Sheep. Uh, I had the video that uh, showed you, I mean, you're,
0: you've uh, put on quite a bit of a good muscle, quite a bit, a bit of good weight. Have you noticed any difference in your velocity and throwing the football and all that sort of thing as a result?
1: Yeah, I feel like I have a lot more velocity now. And that was a big thing I wanted to work on this offseason. Obviously, it was tough with the circumstances, but you know, we we managed the way we could, and I think it paid off, and we still have some work to do. The last time you did one of these Zoom interviews, you told us that your knee was 15%. I believe that was in January. Can you give us a percentage now? Probably 80 85% now. You know, we had some strength tests done and, you know, all that showed 80, 85 percent compared to the right leg. So we're on we're on pace. We're really good. We're looking really good. It's got to keep strengthening at this point. There's not a lot of things that I can't do. It's just getting it stronger.
0: Joe, what's been the biggest challenge of this process uh, of getting back and getting right and, and trying to reach your goal of playing week one?
1: Just knowing in my head that I can't push it too hard. You know, I'm a guy that likes to push the limits and, and work hard and, and go above and beyond. But, you know, I couldn't do that with a knee. So just doing what the doctors tell me to do, not doing anything too fast, being cautious. But, you know, we're out of the, the hardest part. And, and now the fun part begins. So you were back out there in, in April throwing jar Did you, have, have you during this process surprised yourself at all with how quickly you've gotten back and gotten back to throwing? I wouldn't say I surprised myself. I just have a great team around me that worked really hard for me as, as well as myself working hard. And you I know, had great Nick Cosgrove, our, our PT, is, has been awesome for me um, in here every day working hard. So you know, we got it to a good place right now. Just got to keep pushing.
0: Joe, have you reached uh, the stage of rehab where you can't necessarily overdo it? Or is it still a balance? You mentioned 80 to 85% and getting it stronger. Is it just all systems going pushing? Or do you still have to be patient?
1: Still got to be patient. You know, you can't push too hard. It's basically at this point, it's just how it feels. You know, there's still good days and bad days. It's still sore some days. And so you'll take it a little easy. And then some days it feels really good and and you'll push it really hard. Um, But, you know, we have a good plan. Like I said, I have a good team around me that is, is helping me with that. What's the next milestone or the next hurdle to clear for you? You know, at this point, I'm doing everything. The next one is just to get cleared for, for football activities and contact. That'll be around nine months or about six months and a week right now. So the next one will be, and hopefully I'll be, you know, I should be going full go in camp. That's my goal. Um, maybe a little limited, but I hope not. And then after that, the next one is to be cleared to play.
0: There you have it. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow seems to be ready to go, seems to be locked in, seems to feel pretty confident about where he's at in the rehab process. And, you know, the Bengals and Bengals fans, and I'm guilty of this, we tend to get really, really excited about this guy. We tend to get really, really excited about this team and specifically because of Joe Burrow because for the first time i know certainly in my lifetime certainly since Carson Palmer do i feel like the Bengals have a chance because of the man solely because of the man under center joe burrow is is through 10 games of his nfl career everything you could ask for and more from your rookie quarterback and from a number one overall pick. And the expectation moving forward is that he is going to be the guy. He will be the bona fide superstar superstar quarterback that you picked him to be, that he will be the franchise and somebody that can put this team and this city on his shoulders. The Bengals have done everything right since they hired Zach Taylor with the exception of win football games. I've said this over and over and over again. And I I look at this team – And I I try to look at their schedule and I look at at everything and and I, I worry about our level of expectations. Because, number one, people get tired of losing. When you get tired of losing, you really start to daydream about the good times, about what could be, about what's on the horizon, about what's coming next. And while the Bengals do have a lot to be excited about, they are a young team. They have a young stud quarterback. Their defense has gotten better. They've got a great weapon now in Jamar Chase. They've got a top receiving core in the NFL. They've got a running back who led his conference in rushing just two years ago. They've improved their offensive line. They've done a lot of things right. But I do want to pump the brakes a little bit on expectations. Because we've talked a lot about the Bengals' in Cincinnati and in sports talk radio about six and a half wins. Seems like it should be really easy for them. I don't know if that's the case because you you would look at some people. There's people around here that are hammering that over six and a half win total mark. And I talked about this a little bit when we talked about the schedule, I I don't want to hammer that. I think they're capable. I think if they play to their absolute maximum potential, they stay healthy, they win the games they should win, they get lucky, maximum potential, they win nine games. I don't have any problem with that. I think nine games, a nine-win season puts you in position to really attack the offseason like you've been doing and make your team a legitimate contender in 2022. Have no problem with that whatsoever. But... I do want to just tell people to temper your expectations with this team a little bit and Bengals fans love to get super pissed off about the national media's perspective and the national media's narrative surrounding the Bengals. Keep in mind that the Bengals don't have a very good track record and they haven't for the better part of the last 30 years, really over 30 years. And, It's never more prevalent than when you look at some of these off-season rankings. Track record matters. History matters. What you've done in the past matters, specifically to the national media. There are ranking after ranking after ranking after ranking after ranking after ranking ranking that we do to fill up the NFL off-season. And 99% of them have the Bengals from the 26 to 32 range of bad teams. There have already been mock drafts for the 2022 draft, and a majority of them have the Bengals picking inside the top eight. That would suggest they had another very bad season. Vegas set the line at six and a half wins. Vegas is normally pretty good at these things, about knowing what a team is or isn't, especially when you look at their schedule. While there is reason for optimism, while there is reason for hope, I think it's important to understand that they should be better, they will be better, but the team that takes the field on September the 12th against the Minnesota Vikings is not a Super Bowl caliber roster. It is not a Super Bowl team. You can say that without being negative. I think it's just a fact. They are not there yet. They are very young. This is a make or break year for Zach Taylor. They have to stay healthy. He has to find ways to run the football effectively. They have to keep Joe Burrow on his feet. And they're going to have a chance to surprise some people. And the part that's most frustrating about all these rankings, and specifically for Bengals fans, is that in all these rankings, the Pittsburgh Steelers are comfortably ahead of the Bengals. And in some places, the bank They are even ahead of the Baltimore Ravens, which I don't understand this about the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a team that absolutely could not run the football last year. They lost James Conner. They have 943-year-old Ben Roethlisberger, who also weighs 943 pounds, as their starting quarterback. They went 11-0 and to start the season last year and stunk up the joint on the way back. They got beat on Monday Night Football by Ryan Finley, who completed seven passes. They lost Alejandro Villanueva. They lost Bud Dupree. They've lost Mike Hilton to the Cincinnati Bengals. They've lost other players on their offense. Juju Smith-Schuster has been nothing really effective since Antonio Brown left. They have nobody all that good in Pittsburgh. Mike Pouncey is gone. He retired. So is is it Mike or Marquise, one of those dudes? I can't stand either of them. He's gone. Their offensive line has not really gotten better. Their defense has not really gotten better. They still have T.J. Watt. They drafted Najee Harris from Alabama. I mean, you can draft a running back, but if you can't move the guys on your offensive line, the Bengals know all about that, then you're not going to be all that effective. And is Ben Roethlisberger? Who's afraid of Ben Roethlisberger right now? Who's afraid of Ben Roethlisberger? I'll tell you, I'm not. Ben Roethlisberger has burnt the Bengals more times than I can count, but I'm not afraid of him. And certainly not now. He should you, you could make the argument he shouldn't even be playing. And I bet there's people inside that organization and people in that fan base that don't want him to play. This is probably going to be his last season. So that's why I don't understand about the love for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but it goes back to what I just said. History matters. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season as head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They find ways to win. They have a history, a championship culture. Until you become that, until you have that, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Certainly not the Cincinnati Bengals. And sure, maybe the Steelers are overrated and certainly they're overhyped. They normally are but they get the benefit of the doubt because of what they've done in the past. So the objective for the Bengals is simple. It's not just to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not just to improve on six wins from last year. It's not just to do all the things I said before, like run the football and keep Joe Burrow on his feet. It's to win football games because that's what Zach Taylor has to do, A, to keep his job, and B, to, to solidify the culture that they have talked about time and time again. You want to talk about culture, that's fine. Culture demands results. If you don't have results, you don't have culture. Because then, obviously, it's not working. Now, did they double their win total from one year to another? Yes, they did, from two to four. When you look at a lot of the games over those last two seasons, they should probably have won twice as many as they did at least, maybe even 10 games instead of six, or, or <laughs> uh, 14 games instead of, of the six. So I could see that happening. But this is a critical year for this franchise. They have to take a significant step forward because this is the beginning of the window. It's open now. What are you going to do? Are you going to make the most of it? Are you going to go all in? Are you going to give everything you have and aggressively pursue a championship? It starts with winning football games. And like I said earlier, Paul Brown, the man who the man who founded this franchise, this is on the walls at Paul Brown Stadium. It says, Winning makes believers of us all win football games. Al Davis said it best as well. Just win, baby. That's all you got to do. Okay, that uh, <laughs> that wraps up my uh, Bengals and Reds portion of the program. I do appreciate you listening to Ball Don't Lie. If you don't already, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Audi Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. Check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, which I understand Apple Podcasts has been having some issues lately. Uh, give that a uh, five-star rating if you can. Subscribe. Tell some, here's what I want you to do right now. You're listening. You're enjoying it. You're like, wow, Audie made some good points today. Share this with a friend. Say, hey, I know this kid. Hey, I listened to this podcast. You might enjoy it. Share it with a friend and uh, help a brother out. Let me, let me just finish with this. I don't understand LeBron James. There's a meme going on out there, going around out there on the internets about how long LeBron James was on the ground for a poked eye, and now there's the meme of him blinking, looking like he's crying, and people turn it. The internet is cruel, and it's brutal. I get that. But LeBron James, I I love him. I enjoy watching him play basketball. He is one of the all-time great players in the history of the game. He might be the best athlete ever to walk the face of the earth, He's unbelievable. He is the premier athlete of my generation. He's our Michael Jordan. And I look at him and I just think to myself, what are you doing, LeBron? There are so many times, and I understand that he is on the backside of his career, but there are so many times where I just want to reach through the TV and grab him by the jersey and say, just take over the game. And he's so full of drama. And like the way, he, the way he rolled around after getting poked in the eye and the way he rolled around after landing on his shoulder, which you look at the replay a thousand times, it couldn't possibly have been, been as bad as LeBron made it out to be. The attention he goes for, the flopping, the crying to the officials, all this stuff is so frustrating. Because you know he's the best player on the floor 99.9% of the time. But he rarely acts like it. He hit a massive shot to beat Golden State and get them into the playoffs. It was a huge clutch LeBron moment. But I just feel like, first of all, this Lakers team is not as good as, as their team was last year. And secondly... He is better than how he's been playing. He's better than how he's been acting. And he is still the most dominant force in the NBA, in my opinion. Yet he doesn't take over games like he can. And like he should. And I find that so frustrating that he doesn't have the killer instinct. And I'm not asking him to be Michael Jordan. I'm not asking him to be Kobe Bryant. I'm not asking him to be Shaq. I'm not asking him... To be Kareem Abdul Jabbar. But all of those guys had something that LeBron doesn't have, and that's a killer instinct. That's a step on your throat and don't let you breathe. Take over the game and go off instinct. LeBron has done it before. But it feels like time and time again in the past, he has been maddeningly frustrating, madden- maddeningly frustratingly passive and it's just hard to watch the man's won what is it four championships now he's been to like nine finals in a row ten finals or something crazy like that there's no one's doubting his greatness but I don't understand the stuff like the rolling around getting poked in the eye and the shoulder and what are you doing LeBron what are you doing just be better be great LeBron James doesn't have to listen to me. He doesn't have to listen to anybody. I can't imagine living life the way that LeBron has lived it, being a junior in high school on the cover of Sports Illustrated, being dubbed the chosen one, and the only athlete that I can ever think of, and maybe the only athlete ever, that has lived up and exceeded the expectations given to him as a young man in high school. Nobody ever does that. Nobody ever actually lives up to the hype like lebron james has and i i just want to i'm i'm a nostalgic fella i like to watch and really absorb people i love to watch mike trout play baseball i like to watch joey Votto because he's an all-time great i watched every bit of ken griffey jr i could in his final years with the reds his final years in major league baseball i love to watch great players play i love to see them go at their craft And I understand that LeBron James isn't going to play baseball forever, or isn't going to play basketball forever. And I understand Tom Brady's not going to play football forever. And so I'm really trying to soak up and and remember them as they are now. And Brady, I don't know if he'll ever slow down. Tom might not stop playing football until he dies on the football field. But I know LeBron's not going to play that much longer. And so I want to have these more positive memories of him. I mean, the, the, the Miami Heat-LeBron was just unbelievable. But it, it's just frustrating because it's like I'm rooting for greatness. I tune into the playoffs to see greatness. I want to see it from the league's best player. And LeBron is, is sometimes just a circus himself, and it's frustrating to watch. So that's how I feel. That's going to do it for me. I don't know if LeBron will make it out of the first round against the Phoenix Suns, but he might as well try. In the meantime, I do appreciate you listening. Be sure, like I said, to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at audio Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. Back at it next week, episode number 90. No idea really yet what I'm going to talk about, but um, I look forward to doing it. Remember that ball don't lie. And in the meantime, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks.